Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Monday? I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. Weldon Rodenberg is back, a twofer to end the year. We did a short pod on Friday post Egg Bowl. Didn't necessarily know how that was going to hold up with the Lane Kiffin news, but brought him back on Sunday for our season wrap-up conversation. I got a little bit into the end of the kind of Lane Kiffin saga, him staying at Ole Miss, what it means, how the Auburn search might play out, and then obviously the roster reconstruction that must take place this offseason, and a couple different topics as well as Soccer Corner World Cup edition at the end. So, great show. I think you will enjoy it as always. But before we get to that, I want to remind you the podcast is brought to you by Ray Stevens of Square Real Estate. Ray is a licensed real estate agent based in Oxford, whether you're looking to buy or sell a home, whether it's a two-bedroom condo or a five-bedroom dream home. Ray is here to make the process easy for you. He prides himself on providing individualized service to each and every one of his customers. The home buying and selling process can be complicated. Ray takes the hassle out of that. If you're looking to buy, he'll provide you plenty of options within your price range that will help you find a home you will cherish. Maybe you're looking for a weekend getaway house here in Oxford. Maybe you live here. You're looking to move from one place to another. Whatever the case may be, give Ray Stevens a call. He will help you out. Maybe you're looking to put your home on the market and move to another place. I don't know what you people have going on, but you need to go to someone you can trust. You can absolutely trust Ray Stevens. He is an expert within the Oxford market and loves putting people in homes that they will cherish for years to come. All you have to do is give them a call at 624, excuse me, 601-624-4824. Tell them we sent you. He'll get you set up. That is, again, 601-624-4824. And boom, he will take it away from there. Again, remove the hassle from the home buying and selling process, and it will make it much easier for you. 601-624-4824. Broker number is 662-832-7777. Podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. So the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Skybox running a Cyber Monday promo now through Tuesday. All you have to you 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 do, I can't talk today, gosh, is use the uh promo code Skybox and that'll get you 50% off any purchase. You can also use the promo code Rippy and that'll get you 20% off any purchase. Skybox coming off a 20 and 9 plus 14 unit week in college football, crushing it in the NFL. There's no better time to join. College basketball is getting heated up. That is what their algorithm absolutely prints money at, is college hoops. There is no better time. Maybe get your holiday shopping done. Use some money from the man, the bookie, to uh, help pay off that. It's time to stop paying your bookie and him to pay you. The only way to do that is sign up for skyboxsportspicks.com. They're the only consistent way to profit in the long run. Check them out. Go online, find a picks package that fits your price range. They'll email it to you weekly in a nice little color-coded spreadsheet, and boom, you're more equipped to profit than you were five minutes before trying Skybox Sports Picks. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com, the best gambling handicapping service in the world. This is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Greg, switching up the Rippy Wright special. That's right, we have a special switch-up alert. If you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywrights.substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me a couple of times a week and discounted meats. Now, if you're a subscriber, you can go in there, show Greg proof of subscription, and you get 
three lane train fillets for 20 bucks. That's about a $40 uh, usual evaluation there. And you're getting three of them for 20 bucks. Just go in there, show him proof of subscription and boom, he'll get you set up with the Rippy Ride special. Then go find all of your own favorites. Oxford is so lucky to have a butcher shop like LB's. He wants to make your grilling experience great. Check them out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right. Here is Weldon Rodenberg. All right, we now welcome back on former Ole Miss recruiting specialist, Rippy Wright's football correspondent, Weldon Rodenberg, a twofer in the season. We had a podcast we recorded on Friday morning uh, with the large possibility it would become completely irrelevant as soon as I posted it. It actually held up better than I thought it did. We tried to keep it as open-ended, but uh, we'll cover a little bit of, of the Kiffin stuff and then really just kind of get in the offseason and, of course, soccer corner at the end. How are you? Thanksgiving festivities are over. You've made it back to Houston and uh, – about to face the real world again on Monday, as uh, I imagine many people listening already are as they hear this. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm oddly ready for a uh, day in the office after being in Baton Rouge since Wednesday. Uh, you know, every time you go back in for Thanksgiving, as I'm sure is the same with you and your family, it's always events. You know, it, it's lunch with the grandparents, it's dinner with the cousins. It's like just never ending. And both me, uh, me and all my brothers were like at the end of the week. We're just like, I'm. I want to go home, <laughs> not not here. I want to go back home to where I live because this is uh, just way, way, way too many events, too many parties, too many, too many meals. So happy to be back. A, a, a nice and easy drive down I-10 for the first time in a long time. Uh, so no big deal there. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I like the routine. I'd like to get back to work, but not actually have to do any work. That would be nice, but that's not really how uh, how it goes. Uh, Saints, as we see it live, just scored a touchdown. It looked like pick six on Jimmy G. Almost. Flag. Almost a pick six. Of G oh, flag. Please do not be on us. Jimmy we G's got an underrated uh, Eli face. He looks as confused as Eli does out there. Um, yeah, we are the most undisciplined football team in the NFL. It is astonishing how many penalties we get. It's almost like Dennis Allen wasn't very good with the Raiders uh, for the first time, and then he kind of just got handed this uh, like keys to a pretty good car, and is uh, it is not going well. Speaking of another confusing saga, as we sit here on what is this Sunday, November the twenty seventh, Lane Kiffin is Ole Miss's head coach and will be uh, presumably for the twenty twenty three season. Who the hell knows uh, how this continues beyond? that year but his saga for the time being has come to an end Kiffin signed a long-term extension at Ole Miss um you know I'd kind of put some quotes around long term because while the contract is long term um that is proven over and over and again not to mean a whole lot as we've reached the end of this thing and again I don't want to be like too repetitive from what we covered on Friday just your overall thoughts. I know probably at the sheer surface of it, you are somewhat surprised that this is still the case. But just as this thing is wrapped up, he's staying in Oxford. Just your general thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say I'm definitely still surprised um, that he ended up in Oxford. Not because, you know, I think Auburn was the better choice for him or the better opportunity, just because of the way things were kind of beginning to play out over the weeks, the things you were hearing, the stuff being reported. Um, and I know, you know, people can, you know, say and deny all that and, you know, take all Kiffin's words for face value, but I don't necessarily uh, believe the same thing. Um, I mean, I don't think anything or a lot of what we talked about uh, on Friday is completely 
you know, irrelevant to the conversations that we're having today. I, I think a lot of what happened was still a mess. And I do think, you know, there's a lot to fix and a lot to, you know, figure out. But uh, I do think it's still, you know, a positive to have, you know, him as Ole Miss's coach. I think you're seeing the way the carousel is working out that a lot of, you know, top tier potential prospects are are just not really available at the time. And I think Lane Kiffin at his best is still a really, really good football coach. So it's a positive. It, it's a, a little bittersweet um, in some ways, I guess, just from a PR standpoint in the way that the end of the season went. But uh, I mean, there's things to fix, but it's definitely a good thing for Ole Miss. Yeah, I, I think it is, too. Uh, at the end of the day, but that can mean multiple different things. I think probably the biggest bullet that Ole Miss dodged in this is exactly what you hit on, um, is if Lane Kiffin had left, it doesn't appear the head coaching pool in this offseason is a particularly strong one. And as the days went on, or I should say the hours after the Egg Bowl went on, but in kind of the days leading up to it too, as it seemed that Kiffin might take the Auburn job, um, you know, there was some probably some general feelers put out to you know, Luke Fickle, um, Deion Sanders, some of it rumor mill, some of it just agency stuff. But it did not sound like if those had been two top candidates Ole Miss wanted, just to get a hypothetical, I don't know anything regarding it. It did not sound like it was going to be incredibly likely that either one of them would have ended up like seriously entertaining and ultimately taking the Ole Miss job. So if you take right. those two out of the equation – as Matt Rule wrapped up pretty quickly on Friday afternoon, signing a contract to become the next Nebraska head coach. Now, look, if Ole Miss had made a serious run at Rule, like would that have changed how Nebraska played out? I don't know. But the point being is, like, even those three, Fickle, I think, is a really good candidate. I think Dion is an interesting one, just because I don't think there's any real way to tell whether that's good or bad yet. But beyond that, I don't know where they would have turned if they had gone to just, say, hypothetical option three. And – in other years, you know, you kind of have more options. Maybe Ole Miss pulls a coach that we're not thinking about because of the resources, because of the increased salary. But it does feel like it's a bit of a weaker coaching candidate pool, and that would have worked to Ole Miss's disadvantage with, you know, nothing they did or the job being unattractive, just the sheer kind of year-to-year -year attrition of the coaching cycle. It was sort of a down year. It definitely was. And I, I know, like, there, there's a lot of people that are maybe – have not gotten over what happened this whole week and everything, but I think this is definitely the best case scenario for Ole Miss. I mean, they stepped up to the plate as much as they needed to do. They put out everything they could have to keep him. Um, and, you know, if they hadn't, he probably would be at Auburn. If they hadn't done what they did and pulled up what they needed to do, and you can give at least a little bit of credit to him for, for trying to make that happen, whether it's actually him or just, you know, the football department in general trying to get the NIL up and those around them. Um, so this is the, this is the best outcome for what could have happened in the, in this off season coaching cycle for Ole Miss. And, you know, hopefully you don't deal with one every single year. Um, I think, you know, the precedent has been set that that may not be the case. Um but just kind of from what reading the room and reading the reports, the, the the family, you know, really wanting to be in Oxford, which, you know, you know, the guys that tweeted that and reported that they wouldn't just make that up, you know, including Neil, of course, but that's a real thing. It's, it's, it's really something that people don't always think about when they think about coaching searches is like, you know, all these coaches, a lot of them have wives and families and, you know, the priorities are not always, you know, 
oh, is this the place where I can win the biggest or get the most money? Or is this, you know, it, it's not always that. It's it, sometimes it's it's more minutia and more um, it, just a lot different points than just money and resources and yada, 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 which is, I think, the reason in all reality that the Kiffin is still here is because of the things that some uh, fans don't consider uh, when it comes to moving and relocating your family and relocating your kids. Uh, I mean, the the administrations at all these different schools make it as easy as possible, but it's never really easy and it's hard to to get used to as a coach. So, I mean, it, it's it's fascinating. That That's for sure. And what's next will be definitely still be interesting. Yeah, it really will. And that's a that's a, a good point that I don't think gets hit on enough. It's like, you know, in the debate of over these jobs of, you know, which is better, which has more NIL money, can you win more at, at X school versus Y school? A lot of the stuff that's not necessarily debated out in the open is kind of the stuff like family-wise or whatever. And I thought about that a lot, like in the week leading up to it, right? Because Kiffin has a daughter, I, I forget her name, forgive me, but um, that's headed to Ole Miss next year that chose to spend her senior year in Oxford at Oxford High. And that piece of it, you know, he mentioned back <laughs> – in August, I know we had this like debate about kind of all the stuff regarding him being changed and having his family around and kind of regretting some of the stuff that had happened earlier in his life and really enjoy and genuinely enjoying that aspect of it. You know, it seemed like when he kind of caught the wandering eye for Auburn that a lot of that stuff had been hit on the back burner. But as I watched like Knox Kiffin do the fire extinguisher on like the player's shoulders and stuff like that, and not that that kid couldn't have done that at Auburn or wherever his dad goes next. It just made me think about like that whole aspect of it. It was like, is he really going to do this again? Like at this time, it was just another element that didn't make sense, but I just didn't know. Despite him telling Trey Wallace and a few other people that and saying it in local press conference in August, that that stuff did matter to him more. Did it actually, when it came down to, you know, nut crunching time when the offers are actually there and you kind of have to make moves or stuff. Cause there's so many other things he seemingly did not care about. I just wondered if that would ever play a role. And it does sound like kind of reading the tea leaves in the aftermath of all this and his decision to say that ultimately did play a pretty large factor in it, which I think is a positive sign. You know, that thing I wrote last week, the Kip and tax and kind of the idea of him being a completely changed guy. It's not necessarily proving true to be at the time. I think I ended sure. the thing is until further notice, this doesn't like flip the switch on me one way or another, but that was a no. sign of evidence <laughs> in that direction, as opposed to kind of everything I wrote about him being the same, if that makes sense. Right. No, I agree. I don't, I wouldn't say that like, you know, everything has changed. Uh, yes. I mean, he's still on Twitter, you know, like as of this minute, you know, tweeting at different people about, you know, trolling and stuff like that. Um, but I mean, yeah, I, I think he factored in a little bit more than himself, which is showing a little self-growth, you know, whether it's a little, a little, a little, you know, now, whether that's like the true reason this has all come about um, is, I guess, technically still up for debate. I mean, it's being reported. And that's what everyone says. So we get to take it at face value until proven otherwise. Uh, but he's also I mean, his kids are older. His kids are One's going to college, one's, you know, in middle school or whatever, however old Knox's is. I mean, they're, they're old enough to have their own opinions on the situation. And with Kiffin, you know, being unmarried, I know he has a girlfriend, um, you know, he has to factor this in to, you know, his future as well. You know, he, he is a dad now with kids that actually get to clearly have some sort of dictating on what goes on. You know, obviously, a lot of the times it doesn't ultimately matter. But I think the the prevailing factor was this move to Auburn. It, it wasn't a big enough step 
in his career trajectory to for him to ignore these things that are clearly very important to him. So I, I guess that's a credit to Ole Miss. I'm sure we'll get to what the hell Auburn's doing, but um, you know, it, it's a good uh, look for him and a good look for what Ole Miss has been able to do for potential candidates in football. Yeah, I think that's well said. And I'm actually looking forward to getting more to the Auburn side of it. We'll uh, do some roster construction too, like for Ole Miss in the off season as well and talk about that a little bit. But the last piece of it on the Kiffin part of it, like in this, the, the Ole Miss side of this saga, as opposed to what he actually needs to do next year, kind of roster and program wise, it, there was a lot of discussion about the amount of capital he lost within Ole Miss fan base in the administration. And like, you know, to use the word capital, but it's not actually like some tangible, countable thing. It's just something you kind of feel and you can kind of sense. And it did seem like people were so trust, trust and confidence. You can just call it trust and confidence. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a better way to put it. And it seemed like he lost a lot of that. I think Chase put in one of like the updates in the week that like Kevin kind of uh, lost his like godlike status here, right? It kind of signaled the end of a little bit of like the honeymoon period here at Ole Miss. And now he's about to enter what is next. And what does that look like? And the fact that he did finally sort of say no to an available job and choose to stick it out, like you mentioned, is an incremental sign of personal growth. But another thing on that side of the discussion that was talked about pretty heavily was how does he repair things? How does he, um, you know, kind of build some of that capital back up? And a part of that, you know, many people thought, will it take like acknowledging, um, you know, that he made a mistake in how he allowed this to play out? And again, there's a difference between entertaining the Auburn job and I would say the particular way he went about it. And as we sit here in the aftermath now, I could be wrong. I could be pleasantly, unpleasantly. I don't really care either way. Surprised in how he does this. I am not banking on him issuing some sort of statement about how maybe he could have handled things differently and how much he loves it here. Just does not really seem to be how that guy rolls. So do you think the way this becomes just a forgotten storyline? Because at the end of the day, this still is a good thing for Ole Miss. It's a good perception win. It's the fact that, hey, another SEC West program that's been kind of dubbed a, a peg above you in this whole college football hierarchy came after your guy and didn't do and didn't get it to the point where they, Auburn might look like they have egg on their face and how that plays out. It's a great PR win for Ole Miss, but in terms of how Kiffin does this, do you think this the repair or how this story kind of fades into the sunset is just sheerly done by his ability to recruit and generate excitement and all of that. Um, because beyond that, I just don't know what else he can do besides read some sort of overwrought notes app or speech that I just don't think he's going to do. I, I think it's probably just focusing on drumming up excitement, which I think starts with recruiting because that's what this time is about now. No, you're hundred percent right. I mean, even if he did something like that, um, that's really not his strong suit. And he's, he has admitted that, you know, in, in public and in private and meetings, like, you know, the rah, rah, the, the emotional, you know, love letter to his current program. It's just not something that he does. And uh, would it help? Yeah, sure. It would help. But I think even Ole Miss fans administration, they just, they understand who he is at this point and, and you know, putting him in a position to do something like that. And then it not like go over well, it could do more damage uh, than good, uh, possibly. But it's all about recruiting. It's all about, I mean, the bowl game, yeah, you'd like to get a win for, you know, it's always good to win a bowl game. And I think he was really frustrated with how the, the Sugar Bowl went last year, you know, even with Matt going down. Uh, so, I mean, that would absolutely help. Um, but then it's just, it's recruiting. 
it, it's hitting the portal. It's retaining the roster. It's finishing high school recruiting better than he has the past few years at Ole Miss. That's the kind of capital that he can gain back with fans, but also just with just the team in general. I mean, it, fans, you know, whatever. Like, you just got to keep the momentum going. Um, they have some good things going. And, and in order to keep that, in order to keep improving as a team, as a roster for himself, which we know he cares about, like, he's got to get some kids He's got to hit the portal. He's got to finish in high school, uh, all of the above. I mean, it, and it also, it, it's got to be him. He has to take a more proactive approach in recruiting. And I think if there's anything that potentially could change, that is one thing that if I was key, to be like, hey, you have to be the face of recruiting as well. Um, you have to be out there, not just on Twitter, not just retweeting 24-7 articles, like you have to be the guys making the calls because honestly, defensive recruiting has been has been just fine. Um, it, it's really the offensive side of the ball, his side of the ball that that's been the issue. Whether it's offensive line, I, mean, I know they have a quarterback, but you know they haven't exactly gotten the elite one you'd expect with Kiffin to this point. Um, there's a lot of work to be done on that side of the ball, and that's really his job to make it happen. Um, there'll be some staff changes, I'm sure in certain areas that, that can help with some things, but um, th- that's the best way to get things back on track with, with this entire ordeal that's happened. And you hit on that, I think was dead on there because I just pulled up Ole Miss's 2023 commit list, their current class as it stands. And as it sits here on sep- or, uh, November 27th, not that this matters at all, but they're 26th uh, in the 247 composite rankings. I could pull up the rivals one too. But whatever, you get kind of the point. Of the 13 hard commits that they have, nine of them are four stars, which if I'm not mistaken is a better position they were in last year. It'll be interesting to see how they close. But to your point, of the nine four stars, Marcel Reed's the quarterback, Aiden Williams, the receiver from Ridgeland High School. Then it's all defensive guys. A couple edge guys. No, excuse me, sorry, Bryson Sanders is in there as an offensive lineman. But particularly on, like, it's only two skill players out of the nine. And I'm very curious to see how Ole Miss is able to kind of beef up its offensive recruiting maybe it goes portal heavy and look I get it the depth is probably better suited particularly in high school recruiting a little bit on the defensive side of the ball because you probably can piece together some you know skilled stuff in the portal more so than you know I don't think you're ever just going to generate defensive line and linebacker depth strictly going depth strictly strictly going by the portal but I am interested to see what that looks like because I do think Kiffin probably needs this recruiting class to finish with a hell of a lot more more momentum particularly on the offensive side of the football, than last year's did. Remember, we did this podcast in December at some point before the Sugar Bowl last year, kind of between the signing day and all that, and kind of talked about, like, it left a decent bit to be desired. It wasn't this great close, right? They lose Jaheim Otis and a couple others, and it kind of led you to kind of believe that Kiffin was way more comfortable recruiting in the portal um, that suiting his messaging better, as a, as I've used the example a hundred times, as opposed to going into some kid's living room, complimenting whatever food is made, and talking about him like he's the next Lawrence Taylor or the next Larry Fitzgerald or whatever the case may be. <laughs> the portal thing seems to suit his strengths, but even if that's not his strength, he's going to have to get better at that. And I think as you look at this in terms of repairing trust and confidence and all that stuff, it's going to be two things. It's the recruiting and how this closes and how he reshapes this roster and actually builds somewhat long-term depth because that would also indicate a little bit of a behavior change. You're building for the long term as opposed to piecemealing the 2023 together and starting again. And then the second piece of it is, does this happen again next year? 
Because if this starts again next year, if things bottom out at A&M and they just can Jimbo or something else happens that we can't foresee now and that wandering eye begins to heat up again, I don't think it's going to play out um, as well or I would say even less favorably than it did this time around. Those to me are the two things. And one of them we'll see immediately and the other one we really won't see until around this time next year. Right. And I just at this point, I'm just not even sure what you would be able to do about it. Um, I mean, this whole thing happened and we still, you know, gave him the contract, which is exactly what you should do, by the way. You know, you're not going to pull that. That that would be ridiculous. Uh, I mean, he has done a very good job despite some of the, you know, he, he can be a pain in the ass here and there. But that, that's kind of life. Um, I, I'm not sure how you negate that at this point. Um, I mean, I don't know if they built anything in there, you know, to, uh, I just, I'm not sure. I would imagine the buyout is higher, but I just don't foresee that as some gigantic obstacle to stop him from taking a gig if he wants to, because we get keep getting more and more into this college football age where it's all just monopoly money. It's going to be on him. There will be no new, I say will be, I don't know this for a fact. There won't be some gigantic new contract next year that raises him to, I don't know, 11, 12 million. I know these things are only going up and up and up. And at some point there'll be a restructure. I just don't think he'll be handed this gigantic new deal next year to keep him here. I don't think that'll happen. Unless he like wins the West and then, you know, yeah, then all, you can talk differently. Then all bets are off. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's just about recruiting for now. Yeah. You can, you, uh, when you're recruiting for now, you're recruiting for the future anyway. You would just have to do better at that. I mean, you have to really close on this class. And I have not paid attention to it at all because, well, it's not my job anymore, too. Um, but it seems to like have some momentum. Um, but it, it's got to like really, really hit. And it'll be, it'll always be up to the head coach to, to close a lot of these things out because that's what kids want to hear and want to see. And um, another fact of this, of course, is the, you know, supposed NIL war chest. Uh, I'll take their word for it that they have it. Um, but I know people see AM and see like, you know, all these kids leaving and, you know, just assuming that if you have all this NIL money, you know, all is well and you will be able to pick and choose your players. And, you know, to an extent that it helps. But if you don't have relationships with these kids and you're at Ole Miss, you're going to have to do more than just show them a contract. Um, and I know people will just completely disregard that and not believe it. Be like, oh, look at A&M. You know, all these kids are leaving because they got paid and never wanted to go there. Sure. You, you, you can say There's that. There's a lot more to it than that. There's a lot more to it. Door to the toxic situation. Again, I know we described the Kiffin thing is a little bit toxic towards him, but the program is not in a toxic state like A&M appears to be. That exactly. That is correct. So uh, it's you're going to have to still develop relationships. You're still going to have to recruit old school. And then you just use the NIL as a much added benefit, especially to those in the portal. So uh, there's a work to be done for sure. And uh, I mean, I believe they can do it. The staff changes will be fascinating and figuring all that out. Um, But it's, it's the next step into the evolution of what this can be. And that's what this new chapter of the Lane Kiffin era at Ole Miss is, is even when it like uh, coming down to what we were talking about, like how do you deter it if he does end up having that wandering eye next year, it will fall completely on him. There won't be Ole Miss um, anything that Ole Miss can nor like should they do, if that makes sense. And that really kind of speaks to everything in this next chapter from expectations to recruiting to just the sheer on-field product and winning if you make my nine million bucks a year or whatever Kiffin is at, right around that mark, 
that's expect that's a big boy contract as you put on twitter earlier this week a big boy like proving you're a big boy program well that comes with the expectations of big boy results like contending for the west and you know maybe getting in the mix and winning it honestly is what you're paying for at that point it's certainly not to go eight and four and go two and four against the sec west and lose four out of your last five and the last two seemingly being at least in part due to kind of him becoming a distraction to some degree Ole Miss is not paying for that now. They are paying for gigantic results to beat and compete with pretty much everybody in the SEC and be in the mix in the national conversation every November. And, you know, to Kiffin's credit, his first year, they go 10-2. and two. They weren't really ever in the playoff discussion. And that's not a, a knock against him, not retroactively saying the second year wasn't actually that good. Point being is that is just now the expectation based on everything he has at his disposal now from NIL to what he's paid on a yearly basis. That's you're what this next couple of years will be about. You're 100% correct. And, you know, with the resource they put together, with I'm sure the staff money they'll put together, you should be expecting, you know, top 15 recruiting classes every single year with absolutely no excuse for anything less than that. Um, if it's anything less than that, it, it's sheer effort, uh, to be completely honest. Um Ole Miss has done that before easily. Uh, they should be able to do it again with, you know, some modicum of momentum that they have. I know eight and four and losing three of your last four games isn't great. Uh, but, you know, that's not going to wreck everything by any means. You know, you just have to put actual work in and do your job. And then you can get where you need to go, especially if the money is actually there. Um, and like I said, I'm going to take their word for it that it is. Um so, I mean, like, like I said, that this is all the next step. This is all about gaining the confidence and trust back. And then, you know, it's just about competing at the level you should be at with the money that you've invested. It's classic return on investment at this point. Um, and, I mean, he has proven that when things are right, he can do that. Um, it's just a matter of does he think that things are all the way right. Um, and I guess that's what we'll have to see. And that's the fascinating part about it is if you take away this whole Kiffin saga and people feeling as if it was a distraction and there being tangible results to kind of back it up on the field with the way they lost at Arkansas and honestly the way they lost that Egg Bowl, it being a distraction, you could have sold it as, okay, like, I mean, we talked about it in the preseason. Could this team start 7-0 and and finish 7-5? and Could this team start you know, 7-0 and finish 8-4, and four. well, that's exactly what happened. And so I feel like without all of this distraction, as bad as Arkansas and Mississippi State looked to you in the end of the year and the bad – the way they presumably or seemingly had that Arkansas – or excuse me, Alabama game there for the taking and didn't do it, with all – if you remove the Kiffin piece of it, there's a way to just sell it as, oh, this team wasn't that good, this defense wasn't that deep, and this roster just wasn't that great – and they just ran out of steam when they hit the tougher part of their schedule. Like that was sellable. It just makes it harder to sell given the whole way the last two weeks played out. And not that that really matters now. I just find that piece of it interesting is like, if you remove this and there was never any sort of Auburn chatter, them fading down the stretch and going eight and four is not great with the way they lost the egg bowl in the Arkansas game, but it's not the end of the world because when you look back in September and August, everyone thought that that was a possibility. It just became a circus unnecessarily. Yeah, you just kind of have to put some context to it. I, I think that, you know, like I said, we kind of predicted eight and four for this football team, but this team was a better than an eight and four football team. The distractions were just clear and evident that, I mean, that they, they, they were there. I don't even know a better way to, to say it. Um, 
they should have been at least nine and three. They should have won the Mississippi State game, even with all the distractions. I mean, they were a better football team than them, and that stings. Um, just from a momentum standpoint, you know, the rivalry standpoint, all that good stuff. Um, you know, it's very, very frustrating. But yeah, I mean, you might have taken it before the season, but I, I think when you're going through the seasons, expectations change. I mean, I think LSU went through that this year. It was like, okay, you know, we, we could win, you know, eight, nine games and be pretty happy. And then when you get down to the last game at AM and you get your ass kicked, it's like, well, damn, you know, we just kind of threw it all away. You know, we would we would have taken this in the beginning of the year, but now that we're here, it's really frustrating that it ended up this way. Um, and I think Ole Miss has a kind of a similar feeling on how how everything unfolded in the end of the season with different different issues leading to different results, of course. Oh, you're 100% right. It's the next level up. LSU is currently experiencing the next level up of like the Ole Miss what-if disappointment of it because with the carnage you kind of had in college football um, over the weekend, you know, if LSU beats that A&M team, you're giving yourself a puncher's chance to go play at Georgia in the SEC championship game and have a way to back in yourself into that playoff. Like LSU could have remained in the conversation kind of given some of the craziness you saw. And then I put this out on Twitter last night. I was mostly just being a smart ass and didn't mean it literally, but like context isn't necessarily, uh, I would say always read on Twitter, which is probably my own fault as anything else. But it was funny watching after watching LSU lose the way they did. If Ole Miss has a little bit better play calling and is able to punch it in and beat Alabama, and then you don't just lay a complete egg as the season kind of you know, became a distraction in the final two games. And I described it hyperbolically as forfeited, but you know, if this hadn't played out the way it did and you're not like non-competitive against Arkansas and blow the egg bowl, I mean, they would have won the West. Like if you win those last three games, now that's a gigantic if, and it's not, but it is kind of interesting to think about the missed opportunity that this year was even after losing in Baton Rouge. Like if they had just found a way to beat Alabama, you get through those last two games, which is again, a gigantic if, but like, who the hell knows where that would have ended up? And it was right there for the taking, which I think is probably the frustrating piece of it, which I wish he was experiencing to a whole nother degree. Right, exactly. I mean, it's a massive, massive what if. But, I mean, if this team had a second-half offense, you know, they could have been a team that hypothetically went, you know, 11 and 2, 11 and 1, 10 and 2, um, which is why the 8 and 4 stings so much. You know, you, you don't get SEC West races like this very often with, a three-loss team going to Atlanta. It's like, you know, of all seasons, when you had a very good football team, for the most part, at least, or at least some parts of a very good football team, you had your opportunity. Um, but, you know, it's gone at this point. And now, like we said, it's all about recruiting and building because you have a tough-ass schedule next year. And if you're trying to, you know, get to a different level, uh, you're going to have to really, really have a much, much better team. Let's just say it on paper for the West expectations next year. They're going to have to beat out of Alabama, Georgia, Auburn, LSU, and A&M. You're going to have to beat like pretty much all of them except one. Two. Basically, between LSU, Alabama, and Georgia, if you want any semblance of a chance, you have to win one of those games. You have to win one and, and most likely two. Yeah, exactly, which is well, – you, you never know, like, you know, Alabama loses Young and Anderson, so, like, you know, maybe they take another step back from this year. And LSU, right, are they this year's A&M. 
Right. You just right. never know. There's always going to be a team that's way down, but then another one that's yeah. way no, up. They won't be that far down. <laughs> yeah, no, that is, that, 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 yeah, that's an exaggeration, but just disappointing. I do not anticipate Alabama going four and seven or, or four and eight, five and seven next year for the record, but kind of along those lines, you always going to get into a season and one of those teams is going to be not as good as advertised, but then you'll have an Arkansas or a state who's better. Like you saw kind of in the LSU case this year, you never know, but just the general idea of how hard, much harder it's going to be next year with Georgia on the schedule, you're point about one and two or two and one against those three teams is pretty cut and dry yeah absolutely I mean and of course you know if you go 10 and two I mean this is so ridiculously hypothetical of course but we're just playing it out I mean and it's a season like this year where like nobody's really trying to take it from you know by the throat except for Georgia to some extent uh then you just never know but um like I said they're gonna have to get a lot better in multiple areas to even consider discussing that Absolutely. I, we'll get to the roster building and kind of the offseason outlook at the end of it, but I just I cannot wait any longer to get to the Auburn side of how all of this has played out and is playing out. So it becomes after Kiffin on Friday evening to Saturday morning, um, it kind of becomes uh, apparent that he will be sticking around at Oxford for another year. All eyes turn to Auburn and Hugh Freeze um, to the point where Pete Thamel kind of put the forces in motion in the way he wrote his report that it seemed like it was freeze and that this was going to happen. But as we sit here on Sunday night, Cadillac has had his moment. He 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 got to coach in the Iron Ball, damn it. So there's still no announcement. And a lot of stuff picked up in a lot of different directions. And this Auburn search is turning very much into a uh, – What's that phrase they have? Is it Jabba? J-A-B-A? I don't know how you say it. Just Auburn being Auburn. It has taken on that turn. What have you made of it getting, like, once the freeze thing kind of came and became crystallized into this might probably, whatever you want to describe it, actually happen, the, I guess, blowback to it to the point to where there is not an announcement yet. And this is a lot of different directions, right? You have that woman on I hate to like to to simplify it as this, and it sounds dismissive, but I don't know where is anything else. It's that woman on Twitter who I believe is a sexual assault survivor at Liberty a that brings DM to uh, what is it defending his president or is it the AD McCraw? I can't remember. Whatever defending some Liberty employee, she's going on a war path, um, which it, it seems to gain some internet traction. I don't know how much weight is to be put into all that. I'm not saying it should or shouldn't. But this has become a very convoluted thing very quickly. I'm just curious what you've made of the last 24 hours as Freeze has kind of become the man in the spotlight on the planes. Well, it, it's just a clear-cut case of Auburn is still Auburn, and no, absolutely nothing has changed there. And, you know, it, it's just so funny after, you know, all of the talk about, you know, how this was going to be different and everyone else was going to have – you know, their say and how this was going to go and, you know, no booster involvement, no nothing. And of course, you know, that's absolutely not the case because like I said, at the beginning of this whole ordeal, I gave Hugh Freeze being the Auburn coach a 0% chance uh, because of, I mean, John Cohen, because there's no way that's the guy going into this thing that he wanted uh, because of, you know, that whole ordeal this past summer, which I put a lot more stock into uh, than most people do, because I think most people just count it as, oh, you know, that's just freeze. But that's the whole point, is that that is just freeze. You know, he is yes. DMing a, a assumed sexual assault victim, defending Jerry Falwell Jr., of all people, uh, at Liberty. You know, not exactly, you know, Jesus Christ himself over there at the Jesus Not exactly Christ. a man who's known for being unfairly persecuted. <laughs> uh, yeah, that that's putting it lightly. 
So that is just not what, I mean, like, you know, like we mentioned with Kiffin, what he did on Monday is not what a sitting head coach at SC program should do. That's what the same freeze, thing with Freeze. With the same thing with the Freeze is that is not what a sitting head coach in the SEC should do. So that was their guy. And by their guy, it was the boosters guy. Clearly, absolutely clearly their guy. And it looks like it's not going to work out because, you know, it hasn't been signed. And then, you know, he basically Phil Longo'd himself uh, against New Mexico State as a 24-point favorite, losing by 40. So that doesn't exactly exude confidence, um, you know, for for that administration. I think, you know, kind of what I tweeted is becoming true and the market is saying everything. Auburn, you, you're you not a top 15 job anymore. I like, agree. And I'd kind now, of thought this This, this could all change. You yes. know, if, da- if something like Dabo – decides that you know you know i've i've you know done my run here at clemson and i'd like to change you know change my path and i'd like to eliminate the lake and just go to the other place um as they say clemson is auburn with a lake um then then yeah sure then you can you know change your feelings or if you know they go pull james franklin even though i don't think he's that good of a coach he has a real pedigree and has had real success the higher is behind it The hire will tell you what the market feels about this job. And my anticipation is that it's going to be owned underwhelming as hell. And that'll tell you everything. You're not who you you thought you were. And I don't know why anyone thought anything different because when we were in this exact same scenario two years ago, nobody wanted to go to your job. And for some reason, because I guess NIL is public now, that people thought that Auburn, you know, which has always had money and always recruited well and always has had big boosters with real pockets, no one cared two years ago and clearly no one cares this year. Um, and like I said, we, we, we put this as a forewarning that this could potentially change and Cohen could potentially pull Rabbit out of his hat, which he has done multiple times at Mississippi State, you know, with both Moorhead and Leach, those are very out of left field candidates. But I just don't know who's out there that like makes you change perception of this program. I mean, if you're looking in the entire country, there's no way I could put them in the top 10. And there's really not a great chance I could put them in the top 15. I mean, you go through it if you would like to, um, if you just want to make fun of them more than I plan to. But it's there's just no chance. I mean, let's go through every other conference that has better jobs than Auburn. Okay. Ohio State and Michigan, for sure. Penn State is debatable. I would say yes, but it's debatable. Highly, highly debatable. In the USC, I think Oregon's a better job. I think USC's a better job. It probably stops there. In In the Big 12, and now will be the SEC, Texas and Oklahoma are both better jobs. Then in the ACC in its current iteration, I believe Clemson is a better job. Then you start in the SEC, and you've got Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Florida. I'd say Tennessee is a better job for multiple reasons. And then you can even go A&M, depending how you feel about it. And then now you're at like you know, 14, 15, 16, and you can – Auburn is sitting there. And, you know, Some people think Miami is a better job than Auburn. Some people could say Florida State is a better job than Auburn. I, I don't necessarily believe I would say that, but that's the whole deal is just, you're just not who you think you are anymore. The market's telling you that, you know, the way this place is run is telling you that. And the last fucking five years has told you that they've been terrible, absolutely terrible. 
until since you know 17 when they won the West. And yeah, they have had history of extreme success. But this is a sport that changes freaking month by month, year by year, and they haven't been relevant in long enough for anybody, especially recruits or coaches, to care about what used to happen when Cam Newton was running over Patrick Peterson. Uh, it, I, I'm fascinated. I hope that they end up with someone underwhelming, one, because it's better for Ole Miss, and two, it just shows exactly what that place has been. And no matter what Jake Crane tells you, uh, it, it's still a dumpster fire there. And it's the debatable ones. I'm glad we just did that exercise and ran through it. The debatable ones, the Penn States, the Miamis, the Florida States. Not that you said that that either one of those latter two are better jobs. Sure. When it becomes the debatable aspect of it, it becomes your second uh, kind of of that three-pronged uh, features you just listed of the sheer fact that it's the way the places run and how they operate. Because, you know, you talked about the, t- the thing two years ago with Harson. That was a little bit different. Like, not different, but unique in the sense that they wanted the boosters presumably wanted to hire Kevin Steele, who really had no other qualifications. It was not in this air of the same candidates they're considering this time. But if there were other qualified candidates that wanted to go and there would have been a good hire that it had some juice, it did seem like they were scared off to some degree by just what in God's name is actually the hierarchy here. Who do I report to? And like, how is this actually going to play out? It's like they're not knowing what they're walking into from a power structure and a power broker standpoint. And just the fact that it seems like a little bit of a circus over there. That's the biggest thing handing them down. And I've made this point a couple of times in the day and age of NIL, everyone rowing, presumably, particularly in terms of power and money people in the same direction and the AD having support and not being undermined is as important or more important as ever. And that's what makes that 247 posting uh, from whoever it was on that site a couple of weeks ago about how this is a new day and John Cohen is going to make this hire and he'll have input at the end of the day is the only decision maker. There's no history of that. It was laughable at the time and it's kind of proving to be true now because if John Cohen had his two candidates, Lane Kiffin and Hugh Freeze, you know, Kiffin says no, but Freeze is not the ones going, mm, I don't know if I want this job. That doesn't appear to be how this is playing out at all. So it seems like, you know, even the debatable ones that would kind of keep them in or kick them out of the top 15 jobs. It's the aspect of what in God's name is actually going on here in terms of how this place is run that is making them less attractive than what should be an otherwise kind of a slam dunk of a top 15 gig. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, it's just like, where, where are the big names? Where are the guys are going after? Why, if there is what they are and what they think they are and hypothetically what they could be, Where's like the Lincoln Riley, the Brian Kelly name, you know, the the big program stealing from somebody else. I mean, there's just nobody out there. Like who just took Wisconsin. Yeah. I mean, Luke Fickle to Wisconsin is a huge get. And I mean, it's obviously very clear that Luke Fickle is always going to go for a big 10 job, which I think is a kind of a credit to him to know exactly, you know, where he fits and what he can do there. But he, you know, he was nowhere seen in the Auburn mix. Um, I just don't know who else is out there. I know there was a lot of Sonny Dykes stuff. If you're Sonny Dykes, why on earth would you leave Fort Worth, Texas, and TCU for Auburn? Why would you ever, ever do that? You are not only undefeated this year, but you're about to be in a, a decent conference with no Texas and Oklahoma. I mean, you could be the big bad of that place. You could win 10, 11 games a year, making a shit ton of money in a much better place to live. Uh, I just don't see why on earth he would do that. Um, I mean, it just makes no sense. So I, I just it just looks like a complete dumpster fire, and I just couldn't happen to a better program. 
Well, the irony of all this is, like, don't you think Freeze would win a lot there? I mean, for whatever you think of Hugh Freeze, and I get like people are throwing out his SEC record and stuff like that. Look, if you look at the 2016 season and how that kind of derailed some of his SEC record and how that looks at the end, again, context needs to be added there. But I think Hugh Freeze would do really well at Auburn. I think that would be a problem, I say for Ole Miss, but really just the whole SEC West. That would make Auburn more of a consistent contender, in my opinion. And that kind of just speaks to the dysfunction of the whole place is like, if you have this guy, and look, I'm not advocating for, uh, like, I'm not playing the moral card here of whatever you think about him DMing that woman on Twitter and all that. Just the sheer aspect of it. If you want, if that's your guy and you want to be brave enough to hire him and you've done all the vetting and you're willing to withstand the PR storm, then give him a contract and do it. And the fact that it has not happened yet is allowing this to get weirder and weirder by the hour. Like, the irony in all of this is, I think Freeze would actually crush it there. And it seems like there's just becoming a hang up because maybe they didn't do their homework. I don't really know. Like, I, I don't know what the case is, but the fact that he's not put the, signed the contract and they have not hired him there, it's kind of underscores all of this because I do think he would do well there on its simplest form, nothing else considered. No, I mean, he, I, I absolutely do think he would go well there. It fits it fits the culture of what they do. I mean, I, I completely understand why you would go for him and everything, but I will play the moral card. He he is an unserious candidate for a serious head job. I think he is. It's not because of NCAA stuff. It's not because of, you know, the even the, the freaking Tampa stuff, the real, real reason he got fired from Ole Miss. It's because he can't stop himself. He's Twitter-related mostly. Not mostly. All Twitter a related. lot of Twitter-related. A lot of Twitter-related. I mean, just DMing that girl. I mean, it's 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 a weird deal, but it's so bad. I mean, it's just oh, a bad look. And her coming out and being like, you know, that's her right to do that. Because we know, like, Liberty is not exactly, you know, the center for the, the moral compass of America. I mean, it's there's a lot of weird things with that place. And, I mean, you everyone can believe whatever political spectrum you want. But he's a perfect fit there for a lot of reasons. <laughs> There's a, uh, and there's he a would be and could be a good there. fit at Auburn. What's there's that? A, sorry, yeah, no, just to, I didn't mean to interrupt. Just to add on to your point, there's a cloak of protection there that – wow, what a wild play in the Saints game. Holy cow. Sorry, that just distracted me for a second. Oh, my God, he fumbled it? Yes, and then they almost got it back. And Wait, it oh. looks like they – I don't know what oh, just happened. Wow. Um, <laughs> whoa. Um, but there's a cloak of protection – at Liberty, that in and just as sheer like a bit of anonymity, I can't say that word correctly there because it is not a Power Five job. But they also agree with his moral and kind of political beliefs. And like him DMing that lady was not an issue at all at Liberty is kind of the simplest example of that. And it's just like if he were to take a job like that in that kind of sheath of protection and cloak of, um, you know camouflage or whatever you want to call it it's there now that that's gone how does he actually handle that when he's back in a big boy spotlight you know what i mean like that's another no, absolutely absolutely i mean i completely agree i mean it's very similar to what i would imagine would happen if dj durkin was a candidate for a head coach right now yeah you know you can believe you know he's clearly an incredibly talented defensive coordinator I mean, that has been the least of a&m's issues this year um, but if he was considered for a legitimate head coaching job, you know, there would be a massive amount of blowback because of what happened at Maryland. Right, wrong, indifferent, fair, unfair, doesn't matter. Life's not fair. And that happened on his watch. Freeze is a lot more controllable. And it happened on his watch and has done it now at like two programs with like kind of real serious, you know, 
potential consequences for someone that could be hypothetically paid $8 million to be the face of a program. Um, and, you know, his fit and everything doesn't really matter because of what has gone on. And, you know, maybe they look over it, but, you know, having this all come back up along with the way his season's ended at Liberty, he doesn't seem to be a real candidate anymore. And I don't necessarily disagree from Auburn's point. The whole issue is no one else seems to be a real candidate either. So it's like, where do they go from here? That gives you the, you know, the confidence that that program is going to go anywhere else, but you know, where it's been for the fat last five, four or five years, which is shit. I have no idea. It's fascinating because it does kind of come down to that. I don't mean to simplify this into like, are they going to stand up to the mob? That's not necessarily how I'm framing this at all, but, but just the way this search is going and the perception of the Auburn search from a football only standpoint, doesn't it feel like they're reaching an impasse? You either just sack up, you brace for the storm that's going to come with hiring Hugh Freeze, or you go down the road and kind of gamble on this thing getting weird, it turning into a Tennessee-esque kind of clown show from a just the search becoming a circus, or you kind of just hit a home run and throw a Hail Mary and it comes up with some candidate that we're not necessarily thinking about. I think the whole – if I have to hear the word or read the word mystery candidate one more time as it pertains to the Auburn search, I'm probably going to lose my mind. What does that mean? Does that just mean you think maybe they'll go after someone and you don't have it sourced and you're just kind of hoping that? Like what does mystery candidate mean? I, this is not like a – this is not a horse in a horse race that's going to get thrown in there last minute. Like what in God's name does a mystery candidate actually mean? Doesn't it feel like it's kind of coming to that crossroads? You either just sack up and do the freeze thing because that's kind of what you wanted as your second choice, or you just allow this to go down to God knows who and God knows what in terms of the hire and what the perception of your program is. Yeah, that's it's basically those two. I mean, it's basically going to be, you know, somebody random, you know, this quote-unquote mystery candidate that probably doesn't even exist at this point, or it's going to be freeze. And either way, I think it's going to be wildly disappointing for a lot of people involved, um, which is fitting for Auburn and, you know, how they've handled this entire deal. There's no way they pulled Dab over Franklin, right? I mean, I'm not going to say there's no way. No, uh, I, mean, I, I, I don't think they would do it. I just don't, I just don't think they would go. I just don't – I think both are – I mean, Franklin, maybe his situation, you know, and his deal there, I mean, he's making a shit ton of money, but maybe he believes that's a better spot. They sure as hell had a lot better success and not only beat Auburn by 40. I mean, you're not even factoring into the fact this Auburn roster is trash. I mean, and they're going to suck next year, I think. It's terrible. And unless you portal, you know, better than anybody else has ever done the last two or three years of this thing, you're going to be terrible next year too. Um, so, I mean, that obviously is going to have a pretty big effect on the, the the pool as well. This is an impossible question, but to wrap it up, who do you think is the next head coach at Auburn University? I, I would say it, it's either Hugh Freeze or potentially someone like really underwhelming that doesn't make any sense. You know, Dave Clawson. Uh, I know there's a lot of talk about this guy from the Eagles, Brian Johnson, who used to work with Mullen back in the day and, uh, you know, obviously doing a decent job over there with Jalen Hurts. And he's like the quarterback coach, co-offensive coordinator. I mean, I don't think Dion's going there. Uh, maybe they can reroute that one. Um, I, I Jeff just, Grimes buzz at the beginning, but that seems to have that seems to be done. Uh, I, I don't that would be just the cream on the top. I mean, that would be awesome. Um, so I, I don't know. It, it's impossible to say. I don't think they know. So if they don't know, I sure as hell don't know. You just brought up one last one that I haven't thought about. It hasn't been brought up at all. What about Dan Mullen? 
You're doubt. Sorry, uh, I'm out on that one. I, I don't. I don't even know if he wants to do that. I mean, I think he was looking he's not, at some he's buddies with Cohen. Yeah, I, I, not that I'm aware of. I think he was. His name was in around some G5 jobs. Like uh, I think Stephen Godfrey and those guys said he was kind of looking at UAB and. I, I just I just don't know if he's would be a realistic candidate for someone like Auburn. Um, but maybe. I mean, he's definitely a good football coach. I mean, he doesn't recruit, so that's that's probably a uh not a great look, but who knows? That's the thing with this coaching search stuff that is fascinating to me is like Mullen is like his stock is so far down because of how it ended at Auburn, but his track record of success, and I'm not necessarily stumping for Mullen for Auburn or for any other job. But I just think the idea, if you look at that guy's overall track record of success at the Southeastern Conference as a whole, the idea that that guy like should or like is perceived as having to go back to the G5 before he goes back up to a Power 5 school is kind of crazy to me. I'm not saying he wants it or would do that, but like that guy's just a lot better than I feel like he's perceived. It's kind of like the Bill O'Brien thing. I get that like all the Alabama people are ready to get Bill O'Brien out of there. But remember like they – in Houston, toward the end, he became kind of in that, uh, like, Rosillo and, uh, oh, man, well, uh, Chris Long, when they used to do a pod together, called it the Bean Portal, where you just become the dumbest guy on the internet who gets constantly made fun of, and you're just the biggest clown that's ever walked the face of the earth. But it's actually, like, <laughs> well, Brian's not a bad football coach. Like, I feel like Mullen's a bad that. GM. That's, yes, that's he's a very bad GM. But, like, place. you know, that space where it's like, this guy's not that bad and not that dumb. I don't think they're going to go that route. I just, I've never really even thought about Mullen for any of these gigs and he's a, a head coach sitting on the sidelines with a pretty huge proven track record. I don't know how to answer it. I made you answer it, but I don't. I guess I'll just hesitantly just say Cohen is like enough of this and the booster is like enough of this and just do the freeze thing. But I, I don't have any confidence in that. It's just that that would be my guess versus allowing this to continue to spiral into what it has become, which is kind of teetering on it becoming a surface circus. But we – uh. We shall see on that. Let's bounce on the SEC real quick before we get to the roster building uh, piece of it from an old Miss standpoint and, and out of there. I say the SEC. What do you think of Fickle to Wisconsin? Were you surprised by that? Because, you know, there's a whole, like, it's going to take a lot to pull him away from kind of Cincinnati and lo- waiting on the Ohio State-Michigan thing. But then, like, the the Wisconsin thing, like, seemingly developed in, like, a 24-hour period where it was like, oh, okay, this is – they offered it to him. Like, this is interesting to, oh, he took this very quickly. What do you make of that? I think it's a perfect fit for Wisconsin. I mean, it, it truly could not be better for them. Um, he is a phenomenal football coach. He's a fantastic evaluator. He builds great staffs. I mean, you've seen what he's been able to do at Cincinnati with just the guys he's put in the NFL, you know, the way he's built that program. You know, it's always been a good one. I mean, Brian Kelly showed you it, it, you can win a lot of football games there, but Wisconsin is, is a better job. Um, and it, it, it's something different for Wisconsin. You know, they, they've been a lot of internal guys. You know, Paul Chris was an internal guy. And then it was assumed Jim Leonard, who was also an internal guy, was just going to be given the job. And I think they decided against it. And, you know, I give them credit for that. You know, you can see some programs going against the grain. And a lot of times it really works out. Uh, it's a perfect fit. They knew they were losing a lot of ground uh, in the Big Ten, they're in the easier division. I don't know if they'll stay or not, but it, for now, they're there. Uh, and it, it's theirs for the taking. So, I mean, it's it's a great, great fit. And it's a, it's a pretty impressive pull by Wisconsin. I agree. I'm fascinated to see how that kind of plays out and how, how quickly they become a contender in the Big, um, in the big Ten there. Once again, uh, as we bounce around these results over the last week in the Southeastern Conference, you had the Iron Bowl that wasn't really very competitive. 
Um, I thought the Saints scored there too. I cannot oh, believe it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, this, this game is pulling my eyeballs, and I don't even care about the Saints. This is just kind of nuts how this is playing out. Uh, I guess we'll start. Let's go to uh, the state of Florida. Uh, Napier six and six. Not a terrible performance in that Florida State game, but the game seemingly got away from them late. But you know, those people don't like each other. The Florida Florida State thing, and that's not going to buy him a ton of capital. It feels like I'm I'm with you. I've always been a big Billy Napier believer. I think he will recruit great and turn that into a real contender um, to kind of battle with Georgia in the SEC East over the next foreseeable years to come. Wasn't a great finish to the season. Like, doesn't that feel like a guy that needs to have a huge leap in year two? Like, that needs to be the nine and three, ten and two. Like, wow, this team was kind of in it longer than we thought next year. He feels like he needs to have a huge jump. Yeah, I mean, he needs to have a jump. Uh, whether it's a huge jump, uh, I, I don't think that's necessarily a big deal. Uh, I'm a I'm a full believer in him. Uh, I think it's pretty clear that roster was terrible. And he knew that and seemed pretty plain. Um, and he said that and knew that it was like patience is needed. He didn't come out like Cristobal and say, we're going to win the league. You know, he he came out and was like, patience is needed here. Um, now, does that mean you should lose to Vanderbilt? No. Um, so there's definitely been a little bit of uh, some underwhelming. You know, he beat Utah the first game of the year. I know that's always a weird year, but, you know, they still did it. Utah is about to play for a Pac-12 championship. So he there's been some highs and lows there. Um, that's without a doubt. Uh, I, I'm willing to uh, kind of see what happens uh, for the rest of the time there. Uh, I'm a believer in him. Uh, he's recruiting really well. It's a really good job. He is an incredible evaluator and recruiter. So I it, I think it will work out. Um, you know, maybe not the best uh, start ever, but I, I kind of believe in him. So we'll see what happens. What do you make of this LSU season? Like, that game was so weird last night. They're going to win the West, which is a gigantic accomplishment, regardless of what happened last night in year one. But I just play this out. I don't think it's going to happen this way. But, like, say LSU is not very good next year. Could that be the quickest SEC West title that's ever discounted on a coach's resume? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, can't you see that becoming kind of the, oh, my God, we're doing this storyline in a year and a half if things don't work out, like, next year? It just felt like for whatever reason, it kind of for some ways felt like a little bit of a meaningless game or a game that didn't have a ton of implications to one that you look at it now and you're like, wow, that wasn't great and kind of cost them a chance. What do you, how do you kind of see LSU going into year two? I mean, I, I just don't see them getting worse, to be honest. Um, I think they've got a lot of confidence in Walker Howard, the guy they've kind of redshirted as their apparent to Daniels, uh, you know, depending on if Daniels leaves or comes back because he still has another year. Um, you know, I think they, they've got really elite young talent. Um, neighbors will be back. Perkins will be back. The two tackles will be back. Um, so, I mean, I think they've got a good thing going there. I, I think that uh, this has definitely been a really weird year. They've taken advantage of a, a weaker Alabama, whereas the other teams clearly did not. Um, last night was a pretty, pretty tough look. Um you know, that was not a good AM team, and they got kind of manhandled on both sides of the line of scrimmage. Uh, so that that was a really, you know, disappointing game for them, and it kind of puts in, you know, a kind of worthless SEC championship for the first time in a really long time. Uh, so they they had a really good year. I mean, every single LSU person would have told you that if you went 9-3 and three and won the West, you'd take it no matter what. I'm sure the AM loss still stings. <laughs> For obvious reasons, especially because it's freaking AM. Um, but uh, I mean, 
I don't know. I, it's, it's hard to be disappointed. And it's also hard to think they're going to take, you know, multiple steps back next year. What about Alabama? It, it's, it's going to be a very interesting year. I would say uh, who's the quarterback. Do they portal one? Do they trust Milrow or Simpson? Um, you know, defensively, they've looked a lot weaker and a lot different. What's the staff changes? Who do they bring in on offense? Is Golding still there on defense? I mean, Saban's still there. They're still got the number one class in the country. So nothing's changed on that end. Um, I, I, I'm not going to say the dynasty is dead by any means. They went 10 and two this year. They lost two games in the last play. Um, you know, there's still a freaking chance that they, uh, you know, could sneak into this playoff. They sure as hell shouldn't. Um, but I've I've seen crazier things happen in this stupid sport. I, 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 they're not dead by any means. I, I just think Georgia has replaced them as the top dog in this league. I agree. I'm going to try to get you to say it as, as much as you don't want to. Nick Saban is 71 years old. He's going to have to retire at some point. Maybe the guy coaches until he, he's 80 and turns into a Joe Pa like figure with better hair because his stylist is some damn good coloring. Um, but like, if that doesn't go awesome next year, do you do you start hearing the rumblings of maybe Saban is on his way out? I know I'm doing like the first take thing, but it's just that we've seen how a vulnerable Alabama. They lose the national title game last year. They have a tougher year this year. You know, we've been trained to see and believe that after all this happens and, you know, you get the fine bomb or cowherd dynasty is dead thing, then Saban just goes 12-0 and 0 and destroys everyone next year. But, you know, guys are mortal at some point. Do you think that this is maybe the most realist possibility we have of this being Saban's last chapter? Is that become more real than it's ever been? Sure. I'm willing, I'm willing to say that. I, I just don't necessarily think that means that they're going to be bad. <laughs> yes. I, I think they're still going to be Alabama. Um, so I, I, whatever that entails, I, I do not know, but um, I don't anticipate a eight and four season from them anytime soon. What about Clemson and Dabo? That one's a little more interesting. Um, Didn't he play play the wrong quarterback this year? That blew my mind throughout the year. I mean, I I get that Klubnik wasn't great. Like, he'd come in off the bench and have a good drive, and then it was like, actually, the rest of this is not great. But you knew what you had in Uliya Ungale, and it just – it never seemed good to me. I didn't pretend to watch a ton of Clemson games. I won't lie to you on that front. But just every time I watched that kid, I was like, this just isn't good. And they never deviated from it. And Dabo seemingly has kind of been loyal to quarterback sometimes almost to a fault. But that does seem like a real one. Do you think their place is kind of an undisputed top three perennial playoff contender is kind of teetering on the brink at this point? Yes. I I think their their days of winning multiple national championships and being consistently a top three program are done. Um, unless Dabo completely changes his ways. I think he has been loyal to a fault to players, to non-portaling, to the way he's run that place, um, which has gotten him a ton of success. But as we've seen with Nick Saban, you have to adapt and you have to change if you want to excel. And I do not know if he if he will do that or wants to do that. Um, and if he doesn't, I believe that they are going to fall off. Um, they're not recruiting at the exact level that they're used to. Um, I mean, they're still very much up there, but they're not exactly – you know, cleaning up like they have across the country in recent years. Um, and their quarterback play hasn't been good. And every year they've been really good. They've had excellent quarterback play. 
you know, and they've had excellent defensive play. Their defensive front has been good. Their defensive backs have been horrible this year. Um, and that's really killed them as much as anything. Had they played the wrong quarterback? I mean, that's tough. To, I'm not 100% sure on that one. Uh, but they definitely have had a very, very weird year. Um, not dead. Not dead. I mean, they're 10 and 2. They're still probably going to win their league. Um, but it, it's been a year that brings me more caution than necessarily than Alabama has. The last main thing I wanted to get to is this Tennessee aspect of it. I know there was a lot of valuing on uh, uh, excuse me, Vanderbilt plus the 14. Um, and they win that game in style, and it really was not anywhere close. And now as the, you've kind of had a little bit of track, like uh, uh, chaos uh, in the teams in front of them, um, you have these two lost teams where you're talking about could Alabama find their way in? Like I think USC would have to remain a one-loss club. But I just think the sheer fact that Alabama seemingly has more playoff, could they back in their way into this thing, buzz. Um, you know, LSU would have stayed there had they beaten – um, Texas A&M, it didn't feel like Tennessee was getting a lot of that buzz after the loss to South Carolina, but you look at the two, particularly the SEC teams in front of them, and they beat both of them. Like, Do you th- do you think that's weird? Do you think they're discount- getting discounted because of the hooker injury? How do you view that whole thing? Because I certainly don't think it's fair. Aren't we both pro exp- – actually, I'll wait on that one real quick. But just how do you view that Tennessee aspect of it? Of Like, they don't seem to be getting as much buzz because they did lose the quarterback, the underwhelming loss. But, I mean, they did beat the other two, presumably would have been two lost teams in the conversation. It's definitely a weird conversation to have. Um, I think the, the South Carolina look, you know, giving up 60 points to that team is, is not great. Um, no matter any way that you put it, it's not good. Um I'm a pretty firm believer of you should never dock a team because they lose their quarterback. Um, that's not fair. That's why this thing is an invitational and not an actual tournament because we get to 100%. defer things like that and infer things like that and make that a part of the, the you know, the points of how to do, you know, picking these teams and whatever. Um, and it's a joke. Uh, their resume-wise, they have beaten the two teams that were in front of them. Uh, and I'm a pretty big uh, resume head-to-head guy. You know, I don't like this whole bullshit eye test of, you know, oh, well, you know, Alabama has looked better over the last week than Tennessee. Well, they didn't look better on the field when they played them, even though it was pretty damn close. They could have won. Absolutely could have won. Um, I I don't think they're going to make it. I I think they're out of it. Um, Heupel's done a really damn good job there and is recruiting at an incredible clip. And I don't think they're going to fall off like many would assume either. Um, I don't like the conversation around them and how they're being, you know, presented in this playoff conversation. Um, that's why this whole stupid crap about losing late compared to losing early, like it makes no sense to me that we put different values on on different times of the schedule, um, which is why a 12-team playoff is just obviously the way to go because, you know, some people say – that like, why would we go to 12 and we can barely pick four? And my whole idea is, well, why are we forcing ourselves to pick four? That, that's the whole point. And, you know, all these games matter. All of these games over the past few weeks have mattered to literally the top 10 teams in this entire deal. Um, you know, why, why we are limiting ourselves and forcing ourselves to make stupid decisions based off factors that shouldn't be relevant to fit into a four-team playoff instead of, you know, having real guidelines into a 12 team, it makes no sense. I mean, it's going to not be difficult to leave out team 13 or 14, I promise, because they will have had a loss they should not have had, um, or maybe two losses they should not have had. I mean, it won't be difficult. 
it is become increasingly difficult to figure out how to leave out five, six, seven because of how similar teams have become. You know, there has been at least a modicum of parity this year, uh, more than there ever has been before. I mean, there's a real life where Oklahoma, Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State are not in the playoff this year. Yeah. Um, now you can say that's because no teams are good. Um, I'm just willing to say that there are no teams are great. There are a lot of good teams, but no teams are great. The way you actually find out who is good or great is actually making them play more games, yes. um, have a better sample size. I mean, Ohio State has played only one good team on their on their you know schedule this entire year, and they got their ass kicked by them. But do I really think Ohio State sucks? Not necessarily. Uh, but now they're out. I mean, they're basically they should be out based on their resume and everything else. So it's 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 very, very weird. And it's very, very frustrating that this sport, the second most popular sport in this country, uh, has literally no idea how to handle uh, the regular season. It's the- unbelievable to me. We're both pro expansion. I'm generally accepting of opposing viewpoints to me. But the anti expansion people to me are completely and utterly insane. I saw some takes about it last week. It was like uh, Tennessee lost that bad game to South Carolina, and it was like, well, you know, in a 12-team playoff, this would have been utterly meaningless to Tennessee. It's like, well, actually, you know, it could have mattered in terms of seeding, whether you get a home game, not a home game, and all that. Like, the anti-expansion people, to me, it's so utterly mind-blowing. Every other level of football has a real playoff that involves more than four teams in a qualifying system and all of those things that make it an actual playoff versus an invitational. I just don't understand this. I think this is a poster child argument for a 12 team playoff. Like everyone's like, well, it wouldn't have mattered. None of these teams are any good. It's like, okay, even if you think none of these teams are any good, like, could I interest you in a Michigan, Oregon in the first round? You may not think either one of those teams is going to win the whole thing. Wouldn't that be awesome to watch? Everyone complains about the playoff, the semifinals, the game sucking and they're being blowouts. That's a way to fix that one. That would be awesome TV and awesome football. I just don't understand the anti-expansion people where every other layer of uh, level of football, high school, D2, D3, FCS, has this figured out, but somehow you have this faction of people in college football, in major college football, that are just convinced that theirs is the best way to do it because they have the greatest regular season ever. I don't understand that. This, to me, is the poster child of why you should have a 12-team playoff with some modicum of a qualifying system. If you want to pick the last eight or at last six, when you get outside the Power Five or the Power Six conferences or whatever it is, fine. But this idea that it just is a four-team invitational amongst this sea of you know, um, subjective metrics is just idiotic to me i don't understand it well people keep talking about stakes and i I always say like you know people are are frustrated because we have the greatest regular season ever and all the games matter and you know that is true but there's is it though the greatest regular season ever is the nfl where half the league's still in the playoff race in november and every game matters but it's also not a killer like it doesn't have to be one or the other exactly no that's literally exactly what i was about to say is that those games they're all great and they're all important and the divisions and everything there's a clear setup of how it works in college football year by year we have no idea what games matter truly clearly none of tennessee's did because no one thinks that they are going to have any chance to make the playoff after beating two teams that were ahead of them the entire time and you know could you imagine you know you think these regular games regular season games have big stakes imagine the playoff games Imagine how incredible those would be for teams that have deserved it. The playoffs have been shit. 
the last, you know, the semifinals, except for like Alabama and Ohio State in 2014, have been product. terrible. And people are like, well, we don't want more of those. I'm like, well, no, you do, because the odds of them all being terrible are very slim. They're bad NFL playoff games, but not as many as college football so far. So, like, why would we just stick with the norm? Why would we stay the way we have been? And, I mean, I'm all for getting rid of uh, freaking conference championships. Figure out another way, because those games are going to become even more meaningless um, I'm not sure you're going to be able to do that, but I mean, you got to do something. I, I have no idea. Last thing before we get to like the roster building and soccer going out of here. How about our guy Harbaugh gets them to the playoff last year. He kind of seemingly maybe got a little bit of interest or maybe a lot of interest in that Viking job. He comes back and is like, oh, I'll ride on this capital. And then he's now got his team in the playoff again and kicks the absolute hell out of Ohio state on their field. He's not my favorite guy. I've always respected how incredible of a coach he is, but bravo to Jim Harbaugh. What an awesome just kind of follow-up and flex to what, what was presumably some people thought might be a one-off year. No, no, no. Bravo to Michigan yes. for how they handled not everything canning. with Harbaugh. There were people asking Michigan to can him because he was making too much money and not winning at the level they had expected. That was never true. Now, he was struggling to beat Ohio State and win some of the big games, but the guy was winning nine or ten games a year. Firing someone and not having patience is 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 like – this is a prime example of how you should go about firing or not firing a coach that you know is an incredibly good football coach but has just not exactly gotten over the edge yet. And it's completely – I mean, they are reaping the benefits. They restructured the contract. He made a little bit less money. Had to, you know, kind of a little bit restructuring it more to towards uh, incentive based, um, and he's met all of those because they always knew he was a good coach. All he just needed some time. He just needed a few more years, and it's something we don't see anymore. And the way they've handled that, Michigan deserves this. Harbaugh deserves exactly what they've gotten out of these past two years. Um, and will they go get their ass kicked in the in the playoffs? Maybe I don't think so. They look pretty damn good. Um, when they've got, you know, a game they really need to focus on. I mean, they've looked bad at times, but for the most part of this season, they've been one of the best teams in the country. And honestly, they should be ranked number one come Tuesday. I mean, I don't know if they will because, we know, we got to figure out how to not have them match up with Ohio State in the playoffs because, like I said, this is an invitational and not an actual tournament. As if that um, should matter, right? And can imagine yeah. the NFL is like, we can't get two divisional opponents playing each other. It didn't make any sense. Like, wow. Oh, yeah, except for it happens every year because yes. we don't care. Uh, you know, it's just – I don't know. It's it's so silly, but um, no credit credit to them, and they're they're really damn good. He's got a really good thing going there, and it's what happens when you have just a little bit of patience with a guy that you know is a really good football coach. It's almost like patience is a virtue, and Cannon guys in racking up buyout money after three years because they don't instantly become a top nine program and get you into the playoff conversation in four years is almost a bad idea. It's almost like you should maybe give him time to build something. Uh, but anyway, be that as it may, let's get to this last quick piece of it before we get to the World Cup and get out of here. Roster building. Uh, we call it a wish list, whatever. How do you view where Ole Miss is as a program in terms of what they have on the field and what, like, do you, does something stick out to you that needs to be addressed quickly? Like, you know, defense, defensive line, defensive depth seems to be one. Skill players on the offensive side of the football, fixing the offensive line. I just threw a ton at you. What? How do you view what Ole Miss needs to do in the offseason season? We talked about the high school recruiting. That'll play itself out. We'll have a podcast after the early signing day. But just generally roster construction and what they need to get a lot better at, what stands out? 
Uh, front seven on defense for sure. Uh, like I mentioned last podcast or two podcasts ago, I, you know, I'm not anti the scheme, um, but I do think they absolutely need to get better players on the field um, and building depth in that front seven and not just depth of guys going in because you need them to go in, but like actually, you know, players that are going to help you win football games. Uh, they definitely need more of that on the front seven. Um the obvious one is skill position on offense. Uh, that's It's the one thing they've lacked this year, which I think is absolutely added to red zone issues. It's added to just the offensive flow as a whole. Um, I think we have a pretty good quarterback. I, I really do. I, I think he's got a chance to get continue to get better and be very good. Um, but he's got to have the ability to throw it to some elite players on the outside. And Ole Miss has always been able to recruit receivers. Um, you know, they, they have a really good one coming next year in Aiden Williams. You're going to need a few more of those, some portal guys. Maybe, you know, some of these other guys will develop into players that are capable of playing down and down. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. Uh, you're going to need another running back or two. You can't have Judkins carrying the ball 30 times a game. No matter how good he has been, that is not a recipe for success for Judkins or for this football team. Um, and then you need a tight end. You need at least – you really need like two or three of them. Um, so whether you find that in high school, like a, a no-brainer guy to come in and play, or if it's, you know, gathering freaking five portal guys, because I'm sorry, you know, Trace Campbell and other walk-ons, like I should not be banking on you ever playing. That's that's really not how it works. It's nice. It's an added bonus if a walk-on contributes. Um, Dayton Wade is an example of that. But uh, no, I'm sorry. We got to do better than that on, on this team. So Whatever happens with Trigg and with, you know, Hudson Wolf and what the hell is going on there, which is not his fault, of course. You know, you just have to get players there um, as I watch the Saints not cover this game. God, it's so fucking pathetic. Um, zero points. But, yeah, but yeah, I mean, there's, oh, there's a lot of areas. You need – I mean, I really liked what I saw from sometimes from the tackles, but they shouldn't be assumed to be the starters next year. If you find a guy that can come in in a portal or, you know, an elite – high school guy go get them you got you got to put some pressure on these guys because uh they, I mean they weren't perfect by any means I thought Jalen Williams was pretty damn good um I thought Micah Pettis had some flashes but he shouldn't be a guaranteed starter next year you have to have some competition you're losing Nick Broker you're probably losing Jeremy James you're gonna have to find some real depth of guys to play you mean you need to have eight guys that you feel comfortable with it's gonna be fascinating Trigg's a big one so Kiffin announced after I say announced he got asked and then I think he just kind of let it slip after the game that uh, Trigg was you know what we talked about of this a little bit some of off air but like what in what world is a is a collarbone a uh, season ending injury and it came out after that he's been suspended I think we put it nicely a couple times that he was uh, quote unquote swimming a little bit when he was healthy um, I think there's probably some stuff there regarding kind of what you need to do to be a major high profile SEC football player and everything that comes with that. That's there. I don't know what he was suspended for. Um, I have a couple hunches, but I don't, uh, I, I'm not going to like throw it out there, but that seems like a big one. You need him to, that was a big piece of the kind of the whole Jackson dart, Michael Trigg thing. And you really got next to no outside of one game, consistent contribution from Trigg. The tight ends, a big piece of that Kiffin offense when they have a good one, like that seems like I, I don't know what's going to happen there. I'm not asking you to predict it, but that does seem like a big piece of this because my God, that kid is a great raw talent and an incredible athlete. That feels like a big one that could swing the off season, what he becomes and what becomes of that entire situation. 
oh, it's massive. You, you got to figure out a way for him to buy in completely because clearly there were some issues down the stretch that uh, that really caused a lot of issues there, um, which is a very eloquent way of saying that. Um, uh, he he is massive. Um, he has got to develop as a blocker. I think, you know, with the offensive line not really being what we kind of thought they could be this year, not having a tight end as an extra blocker absolutely killed the running games in important situations. And Particularly in the Egg Bowl. Right, exactly. Um, the thir- third and one, fourth and one was just a death nail to them. Um, but you have to have multiple guys. And, you know, just him is not going to change everything. But it does give Dart an extra receiver to throw to, a dynamic one, by the way. Um, so, yeah, he's massively important to what we're trying to build here. But if he's not a guy, if he doesn't have competitive character, if he's not, you know, a five for five like we used to call and he's just a, a complete pain in the ass, well, then it's a miss. And I think that's an incredibly important part to this whole portal deal, this recruiting deal, is there have been misses that have that have hurt this roster, whether it's guys who can't play or guys that have not you know competed to play. You know, we don't know what the hell's going on with Knox or Robinson, but clearly those guys are either can't play because they're not good enough or can't play because they're, you know, don't have it. You know, the dog in them, as, as a lot of people on Twitter say, which is stupid, but I, I know uh, you know what I mean. Um, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. They're going to have to evaluate that part of the portal a lot better um, because, I mean, Jaden Ivey, you know, there were some supposedly some issues with him earlier. He kind of came on early in the season and was basically – kind of irrelevant towards the, the back half of the season. Uh, you know, there's other guys that have struggled to stay on the field for whatever reasons. Uh, like I said last time, you know, if you bring in 15, 16 portal guys, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. But if only five, six, seven can actually play for you, then you're fucked <laughs> with a capital F uh, because then now your roster is filled with a bunch of guys who have one or two years left who can't play for you. And that is killer to your numbers, even though I know those don't matter as much as they used to, but the 85 still matters. Um, And the guys on the field still matter and that they haven't done as well of a job as they have in the past handling that. It's going to be fascinating to see how this plays out. We'll do another couple pods as we pull you out of hibernation in the off season as this can, uh, kind of consistently develops. Before we get out of here, let's get to the fastest growing segment on American soil, soccer corner edition, global edition, World Cup edition. Um, on Friday, I stopped by uh, Casa de Parum. Uh, I think it's actually pronounced Casa. Not really uh, strong with the, uh, uh, the Hispanic language there. But he had the World Cup on him Friday afternoon. We draw England which seems like on the surface a big result, right? It kind of proved to some degree from an American standpoint, from kind of the little I read from it, that they can compete and play with the big boys. But the fact that they were not able to finish off Wales and were not able to, uh, you know, draw a win over England, I don't think you can blame them on the surface. They played Iran on Tuesday, and I'm not the greatest math guy, so feel to correct me and steer me if I'm wrong here. Them getting out of this group is now contingent on actually them beating Iran. No draw, no no zero, nil nil tie, as uh, as the announcers love to put it towards the end of the game. They have to win this. Contextualize for me the importance of the result versus England, while also still kind of leaving yourself in this last group play match of having to actually win it. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say they've had a disappointing showing in the World Cup. Um, I think the the penalty against Wales was inexcusable and has has put them in this situation. They, was they that were, a bad call, by the way? You're no, talking no, no, no. to someone that has no clue. 
Not a bad call. It was okay. it was an egregious foul in that moment. I mean, Bale has his back to the goal. There's absolutely no reason to to go through him like that. And uh, there was absolutely no doubt he was making that penalty. Um, so that was that was killer. I mean, you dominated that team in the first half with multiple chances to go up more than one. In the second half, um, I mean, you got out-schemed and outplayed, and, you know, it showed they finally got one. Um, so that was killer. Um, then Iran beating Wales 2-0 in, in stoppage time with a red card, the goalkeeper, crazy, crazy game, um, didn't kill you. But it made the England result a little matter bit less. matter less. Um, what you had to do was get a win. Um, a loss or a draw was not going to hurt you either way necessarily. Um, but all in all, they've set themselves up. It's it's to beat Iran and you're in. It beat Iran and you're in. And the way the draw is set up for them after that is pretty favorable all things considered, if they can do it. Um, so they, they have to beat them. And uh, they are a better team than Iran. Iran is not bad. I, I said it before, they're not bad. They had a tough, tough showing against England. That's how good England is. Um, but they came back with a pretty impressive effort against Wales. And now this is where you're at. You, you have to beat them. Uh, you really don't have any excuses. Um, you are a better team than them. And it would be a pretty massive failure to not get a result on Tuesday. This is my favorite thing in soccer in general in the World Cup aspect of it is, is you'll have like a, when it gets to Tuesday, it's at 1 p.m. if I'm not mistaken, you'll have like a, a, a tight game, say it's like nil-nil in the 70th minute, and everyone is just on the edge of their seat. What was that game where Donovan scores in like 09 or 08? Look at this. I know some soccer where they had to have the goal. against Algeria. They yeah, needed and, and they got it, and it was this like great a moment in soccer. Like that's the kind of what breeds this and makes it so fascinating. Is here's a this might be a dumb question, but I don't know how the math works. Now that they drew England and that England is 1 0 and 1, the United States is 0 0 and 2, or however the Brits do it or the Euros do it over there. If they beat Iran, can the USA win the group? Is that mathematically possible? I have no clue. Can they? If so, England has what four points right now, the US has two. If England were to lose. The U.S. were to win. They would win the group. They could maybe win the group. Um, yeah, I, I think if 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 the U.S. wins and England loses, I think there is, because that would be three points, my bad math right here. Yeah, I think they can still win the group. I don't know why I wouldn't have thought that in beforehand. Um, wouldn't that be an absolutely massive uh, uh, moment it, for yeah. America? It, it would be pretty damn big. Um, it helps you in the in the next round because in the in the next you know, case scenario, you're playing the second team from whatever group you come from. And it, you know, that can be a bad thing sometimes. I think you're about to see with Argentina, they're probably not going to not necessarily win that group. So you like you could end up with that. Um, but it, it just I think from a, a morale standpoint, yeah, that would be huge. Do I anticipate that happening? No, not necessarily. Um, Wales can really only play for pride at this point. Um, I think, I think they can only play play for pride. No, not necessarily right, because they would if they somehow beat England, they'd be one zero and one, and then you're. But just I getting- think I, I think the goal their goal differential is so bad they'd have to beat England by like four. Um, okay, in some cases because because they lost to Iran. Because they lost to Iran and they've only scored one goal the whole time, whereas England uh, has scored like England scored. 
I think they scored six against Iran, five or six. Okay. Um, so they they're pretty they're pretty good there. I I don't anticipate there being any scenario where it's USA and Wales going through without England. Um, not that it's mathematically impossible, but regardless, like we all said, it's win and you're in, which is really exciting for Tuesday and also oddly stressful. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So last couple of things before we get out of here, just take me around. My God, they have groups almost every letter of the alphabet. What has been the most shocking? Was it there an African country that upset someone? You had a Japan upset. What what have been the highlights of this uh, World Cup so far in terms of just crazy stuff happening? Take me through that. It's been a kind of a weird World Cup. Uh, very low scoring, um, which is a little odd for international the international game because you know the teams aren't as good, so they're not as compact, but they're also not as offensively talented attacking wise. So it's 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 kind of a weird. They had a lot of nil nil draws. Um, obviously, Argentina losing to Saudi Arabia was maybe the biggest upset in World Cup history. Whoa, um, that, okay. that happened on day two, uh, which was bizarre. And then Argentina came back and beat Mexico 2-0. Um, Spain was dominant against Costa Rica, and then Germany lost to Japan in that group. And then Costa Rica ends up beating Japan, and Spain ties Germany. Uh, so there's a lot going on in that group. Uh, the Spain-Germany game was probably the best game of the the tournament so far in terms of like just quality of play. That's what happens when you have two giants playing each other. It was it was pretty awesome. Um, elsewhere, some disappointments. Uh, well, Qatar's out, um, so that's good. <laughs> Canada came in with a lot of expectations and hype, and they went 0-2, and they're out. Um, so that was definitely disappointing for them. Um, Netherlands, they won one and tied one, so they, they might not win that group. That was a little odd. Uh, Brazil has probably looked the best so far, which I don't think is a huge shock, um, but there's still a lot to go for there. Um, the African teams have been okay. Uh, Ghana lost to Portugal. Senegal has been fine. Cameroon a pretty lifeless loss to Switzerland. Morocco uh, beats Belgium? Belgium has been that, – that's probably been the biggest disappointment so far. I think Belgium, you know, they beat Canada in very unimpressive fashion. They honestly should have lost that game and then uh, got pretty thoroughly dominated by Morocco for, for 90 minutes. And Morocco is not a bad team by any means, uh, but they should not be in the same class as Belgium. I think Belgium's kind of golden age – uh, of players they had the past two big tournaments for them have, have gone. And that, that team is kind of a shell of itself. Um, the biggest positive surprises, I would say Ecuador has looked really good. Um, I would say uh, who else has looked really good. Japan France, winning in- Japan beating Germany was pretty incredible. Then of course they, they come back with a loss to Costa Rica. So they kind of fell back to earth pretty, pretty damn quick. Um, France has looked really good, um, which was kind of a shock. They've had some injuries, some internal issues uh, that they've looked up to par. Uh, and then, like I said earlier, Brazil has looked – they've only played one game against a very good Serbian team who I thought was going to be pretty good in this tournament, and they uh, pretty thoroughly got them. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's been a fascinating tournament. I think this next round of games, the last games of each group, uh, they play at the same time, so you don't get to know, you know, who's where and everything. That's usually when things get get pretty exciting. Um, and I think there's got to be a chance. There's there hasn't been a super dominant team. 
I think the knockouts have a chance to be really, really cool. And I really hope the USA is part of it because the way they've played so far, if they get the right draw on the right team, that they could do something. Who wins this sucker? It, it would be impossible to to bet against Brazil at this point. The, the way they looked in their first game, I mean, that team just knows each other so well. They are so, so, so deep. Um, they, they've looked the best just from a sheer schematic standpoint, sheer depth standpoint. Um, Spain has looked really good. They have pro- maybe the best midfield. Croatia has kind of had a slight awakening that they looked really uh, good today, dominating a pretty solid Canada team. Um, So, I mean, it's one of those teams. Will Argentina be able to bounce back? That'll be interesting to see. Um, It's definitely still wide open. Last thing, it seems like there's been – and maybe it's just the football season aspect of it. Maybe it's all that. I haven't seen as much buzz – as uh as we normally get in these types of scenarios i don't necessarily like in in the world i say these types of scenarios the world cup maybe it's just because it's america it's going on during football season i don't really know i'm just curious like it just seems like it's been down on this i don't think that's necessarily gonna um i would say stop uh <laughs> some of the uh way the bids are handed out but would you classify this qatari world cup as a disaster as maybe we thought it would be like is this has been as bad as we thought I know we throw geopolitical stuff in there. I'm just curious, like success, failure, like how do you think this has played out from just a general vibe of it being in Qatar? I just think it being played with against football in this country has has, has definitely killed the buzz. Um, I don't know if you saw the number, but the the USA England game got 16 million viewers in the US. Is that good or is that bad? It's inc- that's incredibly good. Okay. So the 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 ratings haven't been bad. Um, I mean, these games. I mean, that game was played at one o'clock on a, on a Friday, and it got fifteen million. The Wales game got ten million, and it was played at one o'clock on a freaking Monday. So I mean, the ratings for the U.S. have been really impressive. I think overall they've been pretty good. Um, there hasn't been any just wild and crazy issues so far with any of the games or any of the calls or any of the you know, protests or whatever. Um, it's been just kind of, it's just been a tournament and it's usually a little bit more than that, uh, which I think is definitely disappointing. Uh, but it's it's just starting. Uh, I think once the games get more competitive, once the teams that are playing, you know, now that will be out of the regular season of college football, that'll kind of go uh, on the back burner. NFL's NFL, it is what it is. I mean, they got freaking 45 million viewers for a, a Giants-Cowboys game on Thanksgiving. That's king. Uh, we know that for sure. But I think this next week and the week after when you start getting into the big boy games uh, will be pretty awesome. He is Weldon Rodenberg, football correspondent, football correspondent. We appreciate the time, my man. It's been another awesome season. I really enjoyed doing this podcast for another year in a row. We'll get into some of the recruiting aspects. You know, there's a world where we do this podcast 20 years down the line and you're going to be like, you know, I remember recruiting his father. Um, he was a hell of a player back then. Um <laughs> Just uh, wait, I'm trying to think. Like Jaheim Otis the second. It's like I remember recruiting him. I remember watching tape on his dad. But I appreciate the time, my man. This has been awesome for another year. This is not goodbye yet. We'll uh, pull you out of hibernation in the offseason. But great shit, another year. I really, really appreciate this, my man. We'll talk to you soon. No, absolutely. Thank you for having me on. I enjoy it every Sunday. <laughs> All right, that 
is was Weldon Rodenberg. Appreciate his time as always. Don't say this enough, but really appreciate his contributions to the podcast throughout the season. We are now two years into this experiment, and it has been an absolute raging success. I cannot thank him enough for uh, agreeing to do this and continuing to do it for two years and what we've built with this pod since. Weldon has been a huge part of that, and it would not be where it is today without him. So thank him for his service, if you must. But I appreciate it. We'll have him back on a couple times throughout the offseason. Definitely not the end of Weldon Rodenberg, but we will send him into offseason mode. We'll be back with a hoops update in the middle of the week. And then uh, not exactly sure what else, but we will uh, we'll have something for you there. So stay tuned and have a great start to your week.